My name is Abraham Gutman, and thank you so much for joining us for the third COVID-19 line and policy briefing uh, hosted by Public Health Law Watch. I am very excited for two 20-minute panels that we have today about the fascinating and, and honestly a little bit scary issue of medical rationing in times of health crises and pandemics. For the first panel, we have uh, two esteemed uh, guests. Um, Diane Hoffman is the Jacob A. France Professor of Health Law and the Director of the Law and Healthcare program at the University of Maryland Carey School of Law. She also directs the Maryland Healthcare Ethics Committee Network and Educational and Advisory Resource for Ethics Committee members throughout Maryland, which obviously now these issues are very top in mind. So hello, Diane. Thank you for being with us. Glad and, to be here. And also with us is Lance Gable, the Associate Professor of Law at Wayne State University Law School. Uh, he served as the interim dean of the law school from 2016 and 2017. Between 2009 and 2012, he led a task force for the state of Michigan and he drafted the ethical guidelines for the allocation of scarce medical resources and services during public health emergencies. So who better to have? So um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Lance, to start it off, to start us off, what is medical rationing and what makes this a legal issue? Yeah, so uh, rationing can occur anytime there's a shortage of a key resource in a healthcare setting. And this could be medical supplies, uh, like we're talking about um, medication or ventilators. Uh, it could be necessary personal protective equipment for healthcare workers who are who are treating patients, um, it could be a shortage of personnel. And so actually having enough trained health professionals available to help people out, um, or it could even be space, uh, having enough rooms, beds, and areas where people can be treated. And so um, if the shortage occurs, it, during ordinary times, we, we will occasionally have shortages in certain uh, specific supplies or resources, and um, healthcare workers and, and facilities have to deal with them on a case-by-case basis. Uh, what we're facing right now, though, um, in, in the COVID-19 outbreak is a much more serious shortage and potential shortage of essential supplies and personnel. And so um, we're faced with a really challenging and difficult question, which is um, if we have to triage, make triage decisions and use these resources and allocate them not to everyone who needs them, uh, how do we make these tough decisions? The, the reason why this can be a legal issue is uh, for, for a number of reasons. First of all, it, it's the kind of issue that can implicate uh, both civil and criminal liability for providers if they're either refusing needed resources to people when they still have those resources because they're preserving them for someone future, or if they're making decisions, take resources away. Uh, that, could, that can give rise to civil or criminal liability. It's also an issue just more generally in terms of how our systems function and whether there are other regulatory um, requirements that aren't being met by withholding uh, resources that people might need to be treated with uh, when we're trying to preserve them for an even greater surge of, of patients who might be coming in uh, soon thereafter. Thank you. Thank you for that overview. And then what would we want, before we are jump, we jump to actually how the law looks and how this is playing out in COVID-19, what do we want the law to um, allow uh, um, physicians to do and other entities? Who should the law govern? And what do we want a medical rationing law or policy to look like? Yeah, so um, basically uh, the kind of criteria I think that we want for a rationing plan is that it's that it's fair. And the, the, the problem with that is that we don't always agree on fairness. And so there are different ways that people define that and think about that. It can be uh, everybody gets their fair share or fair opportunity. That would be like a lottery or first come, first served. Um, but we could also look at something that wanted uh, to save the most lives. 
And they are different, I think, in terms of uh, what would be good criteria. We also want um, something that takes into account stewardship of scarce medical resources, that we don't want to waste them unnecessarily. We also want consistency across a state so that you don't see people going, uh, learning that one hospital is more lenient or saving more people. So people want to go to that hospital instead of another one. Um, so those are the the kinds of things. And um, you want, I think, also some transparency. You want the public to know about them, if possible, uh, that there's some kind of community input process when these were being developed to ask uh, the different uh, citizens of a state, what do you think is the most fair way to do this? Should we give priority to healthcare workers who are on the front lines and taking care of patients? Um, should we do things random uh, by lottery or should we try to save the most lives? So those are some of the things I think that need to be taken into account. Um, and in, in terms of why the what this does is that it changes the standard of care for healthcare providers so that they're not um, having to do what they would normally do in uh, non-pandemic times, non-emergency times. And I, I just a quick follow-up. So, so you said that, you know, when these plans have been developed, when these laws have been developed, from your experience, um, were they developed? Now we're in the middle of the pandemic. We are, everybody's busy. Were we, we talk about preparedness on testing. We talk about preparedness on uh, many different issues and ventilator capacity. Were states prepared in terms of having these plans in place? Great question. So I think we're seeing that some were and some were, uh, were not or are not and are scrambling now to try to put something together. Um, some of the plans were put together maybe a decade ago and need to be updated to some extent. Uh, some were more recent in the last five years. Um, so we have, there. there is really inconsistency across the country in terms of um, what states have done um, to prepare for this kind of rationing. And Lance, can you talk a little bit about where does the rationing happen? So is this, a, are these decisions that happen on a level of a public health department, on a city level, a hospital administration, or is this something that happens on the bedside, physician gets two patients in the ER and they need to make the decision by themselves? Well, it could happen in, in, in either of those types of situations. Um, they're, they're, without adequate or without um, careful planning ahead of time, um, it might it might come down to that bedside physician having to make that decision. Um, it's a better practice in general to have the decision being made not at the bedside because that puts such an extreme amount of pressure on the, the treating physician having to make that, that call and not only having to take into account perhaps two patients that are right there um, in front of her or him, but also in thinking about the patients that are going to be coming in tomorrow and next week and, and so on. Uh, a lot of the planning documents that have been put into place that, that have guidelines for uh, scarce resource allocation and rationing talk about having a decision-making committee, a triage committee that could be at the institutional level in a hospital uh, that can make those kinds of decisions. They, they would still be making the decisions case-by-case -case basis based on factors of that, that, that relate to that person's particular condition, but they would be making them not at the bedside and one step removed from the treating physicians. Uh, there's also been a lot of effort to try to have plan. Diane mentioned consistency before. That's really important. We don't want individual decision makers having very wildly different approaches to how they're making decision because we want to be uh, be fair and consistent across the board. And so having state level plans is really helpful and guidelines is really helpful for that reason. 
as well. Oh, I agree that 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 makes uh, all of those things are, uh, um, uh, I think, possible in this situation. Again, it varies from state to state and whether they've adopted guidelines. It, uh, if they've adopted guidelines that have been approved by the state or by that in hospital institution, then there's going to be more um, consistency both across the, the hospital as well as across and potentially across the state. Um, if not, you're leaving the physician on their own uh, to ration by the bedside, which is something we um, would prefer not to see. That also makes the physician more likely to be liable for violating the law and the standard of care. Mm. So let's talk about liability. That's um, something that I was very surprised when I learned up on this. We, you know, see these really exciting um, moments of clapping in New York at 7 p.m. to support physicians and healthcare workers. We see kind of these like calls to support healthcare workers. But currently, as I understand it, in many states, a healthcare worker that is making the tough decision uh, of not providing the care that in other situations they would because of medical rationing guidelines is not necessarily protected from, from, from that decision as if that was some failure of care between the physician or uh, any other healthcare worker and that. Um, so from the legal perspective, how, and from your experience, and this is to both of you, are lawsuits coming after this? Um, does lack of protection mean like failure in court? Like would, would courts understand this? And is there time to change these laws and protect workers? Yeah, I mean, certainly possible. In many states uh, adopted in whole or in part something called the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act. And uh, depending on which aspects of it they adopted, that would could give the the state the authority to ration scarce metal re- resources, and also um, if they adopted it, the state could give liability uh, immunity from liability to healthcare providers who act consistently with a rationing plan. So uh, it really it does depend on the state. I know in Maryland, where I'm from, uh, our plan uh, is very much uh, it's pretty formalized in that the governor has to declare a catastrophic health emergency and then has to um, order the our secretary of health to implement the rationing plan. And when that is done, there is also immunity from liability for uh, healthcare providers. I understand though that in Pennsylvania, for example, where you are, uh, there's not that same liability protection. Yeah, and just to give another example, um, the same is, is true in Michigan in terms of, uh, Michigan has fairly broad powers available to the health department and to the governor to take steps to try to respond to, to a public health emergency like this. Um, I, although it doesn't mention rationing specifically, uh, I think those powers are broad enough to to allow for the state to issue a, a, some kind of guidance on altered standards of care for, for how to use scarce resources. Um, but but the, the state provisions don't mention uh, explicitly um, any kind of liability protections, and so it's unclear whether they would exist. I think it would be hard to argue that the powers are broad enough to also allow for the governor to, uh, by fiat, impose uh, restrictions on liability. Ultimately, I I think um, healthcare workers in states where it's not very clear uh, are going to be dealing with some uncertainty on this front because uh, I, I think it is very possible and very likely that there will be lawsuits and some of those lawsuits will see um, if that uh, liability protection is not uh, formally in place. And I just wanted to, so some of, some of us uh, remember Katrina in New Orleans where uh, I think there was a, 
a physician, I can't remember her name, though, uh, who had to make very significant triaging decisions about saving uh, patients in a hospital and, or a nursing home. And I think there were some uh, lawsuits after, after that um, yeah. for not having, at least she did not have a, a rationing plan I, I, that she was following, at least a formal rationing plan. So kind of piggybacking on that, um, I wonder when we're talking about protection, we're talking about rationing, is this something that needs to be, who decides that we started rationing, essentially? Is this something that needs to, cl- to be declared? Is there a threshold to, to cross? For example, if, uh, if the uh, truck with blood units to the uh, hospital flips, you know, a side of the street, like in a regular day, and suddenly there's one day without blood in the hospital, and then a physician makes the decision of rationing, essentially, because there's just not enough blood. It will, is that the same thing as being in the middle of a pandemic? Does someone need to kind of say, now we're starting to ration, or is it fluid enough? Again, I think it differs depending on the state. There's not a lot of consistency uh, across states on this. Um, in some states that have, again, adopted a model act or passed legislation, uh, it may be when the governor declares a public health emergency or uh, orders uh, rationing to start. Um, or it could just be by the fact that there hospitals, there's data coming in about hospitals and how many ventilators they have left. Mm. Um, and when they have none left and more patients coming in, it's going to start then uh, just because it has to, because at that point, the healthcare providers are going to have to make decisions about who gets them. Yeah. Well, one of the important factors always to keep in mind is when we're talking about standard of care, uh, that's measured under the circumstances that the that the healthcare workers are, are in at the time. And so um, as these situations arise, obviously, um, they have to adapt it to the best of their ability to to continue to provide the best care that they can. Uh, since, since we're anticipating that the situation is going to get a lot worse, you know, that, that gives us some time to consider um, these approaches a little bit more uh, in advance, uh, although we don't have much time because this is bearing down on us re- really quickly right now. Yeah. And w- I have so many questions left and, and only four <laughs> minutes, but Lance, I, I wonder, because um, this is a law briefing, um, a set of malpractice, right, which seems like you didn't give the right care. What other laws rationing could arguably make someone break uh, a healthcare worker? Well, in addition to potential civil liability, there could also be criminal liability. So if, uh, if a, especially in, in the scenario where a ventilator was taken away from someone who was currently using it in order to give it to someone else who had a better prognosis of survival. And I, I think, you know, there, there is the possibility that prosecutors could um, could charge that person uh, with um, you know, homicide or even manslaughter for, for that kind of um, that kind of action. Uh, and again, so, some of the some of the liability protections are, are broad enough even to extend to protections against criminal prosecution, but most of them are not. Most of them don't address that. And so that, that's another area that could be implicated here. And then there, there are other um, law requirements that, that are in place, um, you know, under federal law, there's some TALA, which requires hospitals to to stabilize uh, uh, patients who are who are admitted to their facilities. A lot of states have rules about um, staffing ratios for different kinds of patients and different kinds of procedures, and all of those um, might be violated with these shortages as well. And so um, now, now in many cases, those could be waived in, in advance of them being violated. But it's, it's unclear how that's going to play out over the next couple of months. Hey, we have two minutes. I'm going to ask you two questions, and I, if you, can each of you give me an answer on a, on a uh, lightning round. So my first question for both of you 
you is because what I hear a lot is consistency, 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 and like clear messaging. So should this be a state issue or is this should be a federal issue so we have consistency across the board? Um, Dan, would you want to start us off on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is an issue that's currently uh, being debated quite a bit or thought about because just public health law generally is a state issue. And we're seeing in not just in the rationing, but in getting resources and coordinating across states to share resources and, and data and information and making sure we have similar kinds of reporting requirements and uh, schemes to um, allocate resources. There is a, there is an argument for an, a need for a stronger federal approach here, definitely. Do you concur, Lance? Well, I, I, I concur, although with some hesitation, because bringing it to the federal level also requires that the federal government be making um, good decisions about the, those those issues. And if, there, if the federal government isn't, then we're maybe undermining the, the more appropriate approaches that could be taken at the state level. We're at time. Is there uh, a one last message from each of you that you hope people will know, maybe something actionable that people can take away uh, out of this conversation? Well, I just want to say that, you know, when we think about this rationing, it's the healthcare providers on the front lines who are having to do this, our nurses and our doctors. And these are incredibly difficult situations. And I think we all all owe them, you know, our deep gratitude. So if, if you know people that are, are doctors or nurses, um, you know, give them a, send them a card or text them and let them know how much we appreciate them. Yeah. And, and I would say that um, this doesn't have to be a zero sum game. There are a lot of things that we can be doing right now to scale up our capacity, whether it's through um, really ramping up manufacturing to have more resources so the shortages don't occur with, with, with uh, as much frequency, or even just people uh, continuing to stay home, uh, socially distanced, so that um, the, the disease is spreading less quickly, uh, flattening that curve so that we make sure that when these decisions have to be made, that, that, that it's a rare occurrence rather than one that we're dealing with for the next couple of months. Thank you so much uh, to Dan Hoffman and Lance Gable. 